Welcome to the Vinyl Impressions Radio Show Syndication Podcast, where we bring you the groove and essence of radio, all wrapped up in the timeless charm of vinyl records. I'm your host, Martin Brown, and on this show, we delve into the world of radio, exploring captivating interviews with station owners, talented presenters, and visionary entrepreneurs. Join me as we uncover the secrets of successful radio promotion and discover innovative ways to elevate your online presence. Whether you're a station owner, a show presenter, or a DJ, our guests offer valuable insights and strategies to help you flourish in the digital age. To get in touch with the podcast or share your thoughts, drop us an email at podcast at vinylimpressions.club. For more updates and exciting content, visit our main website at vinylimpressions.club and connect with us on our Facebook page, Vinyl Impressions Radio. And on today's Vinyl Impressions Music Radio Show syndication podcast, we have Eddie Carson all the way from America. Eddie, thank you for joining us. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. And let's go back to your beginning. I've been reading a little bit about you, doing a little bit of research, but can you take us back to the beginning of your broadcasting journey in 1984 and what drew you to the world of broadcasting? Yeah, it was all the way back in 1984. It's actually when I started college. I was a broadcast production major. Started at the college radio station just as a student and the college radio station was like a lab you start with the basics the intro to broadcasting audio production tv program production things like that i never thought i would be behind the microphone i started just maybe to be a board engineer or something like that but basically you got forced into it <laughs> that was part of the curriculum you had to be on the air so i got a little bit of a taste for it and then just threw myself into it so after a little bit i became the sports director of the station and about a year later, the program director and was had my own show, uh, Top 40 show. This, the, it was a Top 40 hit station. And then they had specialty shows in the evening. So I had an oldie show with a partner. Mike DeMauro was his name. And that was on Sunday evenings from like 7 to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And from there, let's see, I went to what well, I did a dumb thing and being only 19 years old, got an offer to be a disc jockey on a commercial station, a local station. Uh And so after a while, I dropped out of college because I got the job that I was going there for. I'm like, why do I need any more school? Like I said, I was young and dumb. (laughs) So I got the job. And about a year later, I got fired like every disc jockey does. But again, being young and immature, I maybe gave it a half-hearted attempt to get it to another station and then just gave up after a while many years later i've just decided to try to restart my broadcasting career so then i started this internet radio station and as we previously talked about started to play independent bands and artists because actually i'm a drummer myself and playing in bands local bands got to meet a lot of musicians and Playing with a lot of these bands and seeing a lot of these bands, I've they're really very good. And mm-hmm. it's 
music you don't hear on mainstream radio and they just just don't get the chance to to get on a major record label that's what i want to do i want to give them that chance that exposure as a dj then at your college's top 40 radio station what are some of the memorable experiences or moments that did shape your early career i could tell you the first time i was ever on the air was as the sports director and mm-hmm. uh, given it, we did a 15 minute sportscast every day. And I remember listening to the, the previous show, the host and think, thinking, oh, this guy sounds just dead. And he's, there's no inflection in his voice. And man, I could do it a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. When that mic went on for the first time, I didn't freeze, but <laughs> when I uh played it back for the first time i'm like oh my goodness i sound just like him so i guess you could say it was a lot of stage fright that's the the first thing i remember don't know if there's really any experiences that stand out at the college station i remember i'm sorry go ahead yeah i was gonna say transitioning them from a dj to the sports director and eventually the program director what skills did you develop that helped you excel in those roles because you worked your way up the ladder, really, didn't you? So. Yeah, yeah. For just starting as a, a DJ, I'd never been in any, in any kind of a supervisory role before. Mm-hmm. And again, I was 18, 19 years old. And so you're the people that you're supervising are your peers. And some of them were even older than you, which made for a little awkward transition into being the so-called boss. So it starts to develop, maybe as a defense mechanism almost, some people skills on how to interact with different personalities so you could get across to them what you need them to do without alienating them. Tell us about your time at the local oldies in the new station. How did that experience differ from, your say, college days? Was there a massive transition? Maybe not massive, but... I've- course it was a transition because now everything counts right it's a commercial station the log that you go by the uh, format clock it's got to be followed to the letter you don't any discrepancies that happened in college just get chalked up to it's just he's getting experience now you have to answer for it Mm -hmm. if commercial doesn't get played you're going to get a a call from your for your program director or even a general manager the and they have to do make goods, which costs them money, mm-hmm. and then of course that doesn't go very well for you. So it more it was more intense because especially if you're doing morning drive time, because that's when all the commercials get played, and it's play a song, play a commercial, play a song, play a commercial, and you got to and you're looking at the clock and you have to back time it to to make sure that you get everything in before the the marker and the top of the hour news and things like that. So yeah, it was a little bit of an, an awakening. Uh, to say the least. <laughs> so uh, I believe you took a break to pursue other interests, but maintained your passion for broadcasting. How did you manage to stay connected to your first love during this time? Mostly I did play in, like I say, a few bands. So it's not just broadcasting, but music in general. And I started to, after playing in the bands for a while, I started to record get i had some equipment i had a old reel-to-reel tape recorder some microphones and speakers so i started setting up and recording not just the bands i was in but going around recording other local bands 
and then coming back and editing the audio. That was where I really had the interest mm-hmm. in actually producing the, the music. And then later on, tried to do a little bit of voiceover work and the editing came in there too. And then make just producing, making productions out of the voiceovers into maybe just, I would call them skits, maybe just, and I was just doing it to practice little productions Hmm. from time to time. I was very into sports as well. Would do just practice doing play-by-play of baseball, football, hockey. I had, I was actually the stadium announcer for the college football team when I was at the, at the radio station and sitting next to the broadcast guys that were doing the the play-by-play that started to interest me. I found out that the one, the color man and the play-by-play guy, he used to practice by just taking index cards and writing plays on the index cards and just get behind the mic and look at, refer to them and start making up plays. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So I just, things like that, just to keep broadcasting with me. So over the past 10 years, then you've developed an interest in audio production, recording, live music, voicing, editing products. So what sparked that evolution in your career? I know you've touched on it already, but w- was there a specific moment or did it, was it a phase? When I decided to try to get back into broadcasting, I won't say full-time because I can't I'm just, I can't do it full-time yet. I would love for that to be this, to be my career period. Mm-hmm. Started thinking of other things to, to get into, to like voiceover work. So I actually met somebody through in the radio station, W-O-D-Y. I needed, I was looking for help for, on, especially the technical aspects wow. of it, because I was the old broadcaster we use these things called records and turntables and <laughs> cart machines and things like that now everything's digital and i was a little out of my element there so over the last about two and a half three years i've been talking to this disc jockey down in georgia and we've come up with these voice tracking shows trying to produce shows just mainly through voice track instead of doing live shows and then we render those and produce those as live shows. So that's right now I focused on that and trying to do more, sh- produce more shows for my radio station. I was going to say about the technical side, are you good at the technical side or do you just leave that to somebody or something else? No, I'm starting to get a pretty good feel for it now. Mm-hmm. Not related to broadcasting, but I took a few IT courses uh, later on. And so that helps with the navigating around the computer, but the the different platforms that you use to broadcast and the editing software that I'm starting to get, like I said, a better handle on that now. And it's, and once you, it's slow and tedious in the beginning, but once you do get a a handle for it or a handle on it, rather, it now starts to become enjoyable. And I feel like I'm creating something now with these productions and it just makes you feel good okay so while you're doing the voice tracking is that because you don't say what you've just played you don't say what's coming up it just fits in and it can generically fit in anywhere is that what you aim for as yeah a part of it is what we do we do like back sell and front sell songs as well Uh, we just don't uh, like time stamp or date stamp it Mm-hmm. so that it can be used at any time. And then 
we'll put a little, just a few eyes and ends, human interest bits in here. Did you hear about the guy who was dumpster diving up in New York and found this and that and things like that? It's just and maybe a little comedy bits here and there. Mm-hmm. And when you render them all together, like I said, with the, with the music and the bits, and then maybe even some trivia thrown in, you come up with a full three or four hour show. Yeah, I found it quite entertaining this morning. I always like to tune in to hear what's going on with my guests. And the show, I think it was a male-female presentation, and they mentioned some fun facts. And then mm-hmm. next you knew there was a, a movie coming out on human trafficking. Now, that's a very serious <laughs> issue, but you it was handled beautifully. And you say he's coming back in October to tell us about it. Then came some music, a nice stretch of music, and then some commercials. It wasn't overdone like we seem to do in this country, where you can't get it mm-hmm. from the advertisements. Nothing wrong with them as such. But when they're too often, too powerful, they go in your head. You think, oh, I've had a <laughs> tune into BBC where there aren't any. But your show is very well balanced. So is that all done with this technology? It is. And that's one of the syndicated shows you're referring to the John and Heidi show. That's correct. And yeah, it's John and Heidi Smalls. And that is a good example of voice tracking mm-hmm. as well. Though I get the the files from them and I insert them at certain spots in, in it's, let's see, we do a four hour, no, three hour show with those files. And, and like you said, it, I try to space them out. So you get the, that mix. And, and yeah, that's, like I said, it's a good example of voice tracking and that's, is what I was referring to. And my partner down in Georgia and I, that similar, but more music oriented to classic rock stations. Do you believe there should be a theme with radio stations or it should it be mixed and matched or pop or something? Is there a. I build my station as the Indian variety station. I don't think there's anything wrong with just a top 40 station or a heavy metal station or jazz station, just having the one station. And like I said, it's not my full-time career yet. I hope it to be. I try to reach everybody has the varieties. So I do something, I bill it as something for everybody. You try to, you're not going to get a listener 24 hours a day, but you hope to get a listener or several listeners in what they're interested in, whether it be the the jazz or the oldies or the country. So that's I put that on my on the station's website. The schedule's there. If you draw people to the site, then they can see, oh yeah, I want to hear the retro rock rewind um and or grunge garage, mm-hmm. things like that. And that's what I hope to do, be able to provide something for everybody. So how do you attract advertisers to the station or do, do you just put it on the website and hope they come along? Yeah, social media, Facebook and, and Twitter. Unfortunately, like I said, between it not being full time yet, I have to, a couple of part time jobs that I do. As like running a radio station is a really is a full time job, mm-hmm. and right now it's just me. So unfortunately, I can't be the program director and the music director and the sales guy and the traffic and continuity. So as far as drawing people, I'm right now it's basically just the social media. I would love to be able to go out and draw advertising, but that's uh, hard to do by yourself. I understand that totally. You wear so many hats. So how do you keep in touch with your listeners? So if you, you get a group of listeners, they hopefully be regular. Is there any form you've got? Is there email marketing involved? Is there a request form? Is there anything you can help them interact with the show? 
Yeah. On the website, I do have a contact form and I've gotten a few emails with feedback, some requests. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, when I can, I get on there at Facebook or Twitter and say the request line is now open and I'll sit there and just wait. They could do that through Twitter, through Facebook, or uh, email me directly um, or through the contact form. I try to interact. I admit there's, I don't have a huge amount of listeners right now, but I do have some people to follow. I know on Twitter, I have two over 2000 followers. Now they don't all interact. But in Facebook, I don't really have those numbers. But anyway, I, I try to keep in touch with, try to do daily posts just to inform them what's coming up. And like, for example, on the, one of the past Fridays, that show was offering a chance to win, I think, the remastered tapes of Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd. Oh. I'd so relay that to my listener, tune in, try to you know, have a chance to win a prize. That's a good idea. I do like that. And some of our stations, they they involve live music. And we were talking just ahead of the going live on the show that you like to promote unsigned bands that, that deserve so much exposure and that. Could you share some of the insights into the world of live music recording? What challenges and rewards come with this type of work? You mean as far as like me recording live music? Or? Yeah. I would say... When I go out and try to record bands, every time you go somewhere, it's a different venue. Sometimes it's just somebody's club basement. So (laughs) the preparation is trying to get the acoustics, trying to get the levels. The bands themselves, they'll change their volume level. Guitar players, especially, they want to crank up that (laughs) amplifier. And I'm with my headphones going, oh my goodness, you got to turn that down. And the needle is just pinning. And then, then the other challenge is trying to like edit that audio. You're trying to maybe compress it, try to bring up some highs uh, or mids and try to get just, maybe you record for hours and they'll do 10 or 12 songs to get two or three with songs that you could put out as singles. Just takes hours and hours of yeah, trial and error. Wow. Yeah, I, I know there's a, a lot that goes... <laughs> The listener hears an hour show and think it took you an hour to do. <laughs> we, we have to put this together, have to produce mm. this and that. So you're operating an internet radio station, WODY Odyssey Radio. It's a very impressive feat, for sure. I've um, witnessed it. So what motivated you to actually start your own station? And what unique opportunities does the internet offer for radio broadcasting compared to when you started in 84? Just a trying to get back into broadcasting. Like I said, that first I was tried voiceover work and that was a bit difficult. It it turns out there's a lot of people trying to do voiceover work and you would get these, these opportunities and you see there's 50, 60 other people trying to provide for the same 60 second spot. So that's very competitive. I still tried to do it, but. Is it on Fiverr.com or something, or is it more professional? No, it's sites like that and similar ones. So I decided I just want to do it myself. So I looked into what it took to start a radio station. And as far as the internet goes, not being a terrestrial station, you're not governed by the FCC. You have a lot more freedom being on the internet. Sometimes, (laughs) if you've listened to certain internet radio stations, sometimes I think too much freedom because they'll 
they could broadcast anything. They could swear. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, they're and, very uh, political, some of them, don't they? Oh, boy, do they. Um, yeah, I, I try to stay away from that. Probably you might get a comment here or there on some of the syndicated shows. But and I at, at one point, I did have a, a paranormal show. And it actually two at different paranormal shows. And th- they go through current events and past events and you might get a, a few comments here and there but we tried to stay you know away from that you know if, like i said a few comments here or there some opinion but just trying to drive home an agenda now nah, that's not what i want to do i understand that i'm going back to the voice tracking and music variety shows it's one of your current endeavors how do you approach bringing your personality and style into pre-recorded shows because you've got to imagine your audience are out there and how you're feeling when you're pre-recording it it's gonna be a lot different than if you were doing it live and it's happening yeah it, it that's true um i wanted to get to make it feel like it was live though and one of the first things they told us when i uh, was in college was that don't think of it like you're talking to millions of people just one just a friend, just you talking to somebody because usually who's listening to the radio? It's usually one person in their car or, or at home, maybe a couple sitting around. So think of it that way. So I just try to bring like a one-on-one, like I'm talking to you. I'm just talking to you. I'm telling you what's happening. I give you a little, maybe a little history of the song I'm playing or, and when I do the bits, like I said, the dumpster diving or something like that, try to make it I'm going to try to make you laugh because it's just you and me and we're having a conversation. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Everybody's got different techniques and methodologies, but in the end, just remember, yeah, good point. You're talking to that one person. So many presenters say, hello, everyone. And you feel that's them. That's not me. <laughs> and I, I do like this one-to-one thing. It's, it's a good uh, way of looking at it. So one of the changes, how, how has the broadcasting industry evolved since you started back in 1984? And how have you adapted to these changes over the years? Because especially on the internet now, every six months seems to be different. There's something new happening. Algorithms change and what have you. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. When I first started, let's go back even further. When I was just a kid listening to radio, they used to call radio theater of the mind. And you had a lot of live, live shows way back. I remember one of the first things in Broadcasting 101 was they started us out with the old Texaco Star Theater and the Golden Age of Radio, the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on the Alan Donamichi show, things like that. And everything was, I don't know, it just seemed, again, theater of the mind. I'm picturing these people talking and interacting with, a lot of it was live, studio audiences interacting with the with the audience and everything was very professional over the years up until now it seems like in broadcasting it could get away from and i guess maybe because they think it's stiff the professionalism to more of a comedic thing or even just to like shock jocks yeah they're i guess they're trying to make a niche for themselves and a lot of the things I even noticed it in television because that's in that curriculum I was in, it was incorporated. It was audio production, but also TV uh, program production. If you, I guess back in seventies, sixties and seventies, 
when you look at a television show, there was the, the set is there for a reason. And it was supposed to portray a, a certain ambiance. And then they started, I remember the David Letterman show was one of the first things I, I saw this happen where they would pan up, like we're going to a commercial and the camera would go up above the top of the set. And then you'd see all the lights and the girders and everything. And it, to me, it, it took away from the, uh, the theater part of it. I'm like, you're not supposed to show behind the scenes. You're, it's a certain thing you're trying to project to the audience. Same thing with when they started putting TV cameras in radio studios. I don't, I, I guess it's neat here and there, but sometimes camera just sits on the person and like, I don't want you to see me. I want you to hear me. That's what the whole idea is. You know? <laughs> right. So there's changes like that. I get, I always wanted to bring back the live radio. I would love to have live radio shows. Mm-hmm. I believe, oh, Prairie Home Companion and Garrison Keillor, the author, and he had actually put a movie out about it. They were still doing it, live radio shows in front of a studio audience with complete sound effects man and everything like that. I, I would love to do it, but that would that's a, be a huge endeavor. Yeah, a lot of the old BBC radio shows that we grew up with, they don't exist because they went out live. And when the red light went off, that was it. It had gone. And if you missed, right. it, missed it, and it's there, you can buy albums now or cassette tapes, it used to be with some of the saved issues on it. And you could actually hear very badly, badly. <laughs> old shows, radio shows, when they did literally put them out live and whatever was said. But it has changed so much. I, I agree. And it's that there's a lot of radio stations out there and they only last for six or seven months if that and and you don't hear from them again because they can't survive so i was going to ask what advice do you have for aspiring broadcasters who are just starting their careers in today's fast-paced media landscape what what would you say to them how would it be best to start the first thing i would say is you're gonna have you're gonna come across especially if you're like me who came from lack of a better term old school there's going to be a lot of obstacles things you haven't seen before and I, I would say start slow, like with the internet radio station, I, it really, it, it crept up on me. I was doing pretty much just experimenting and seeing how to go about it. And then I came across a platform that would actually do the broadcasting and I went a little too fast. And before I knew it, I was on the air. I was pretty much just still testing things out. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is actually going out over the air. Of course, there was nobody listening to it yet. But so I had this functional radio station, but really no content to put out. I had a few songs built up in a library, but a few songs. So you could get ahead of yourself real quick. So I would say you do a lot of planning first and do a lot of research, especially with this, with the digital broadcasting. Because like I said, I had no clue. I had to relearn a lot of things. And and really, you grow in confidence as you go along as well. And you learn to pace yourself. I noticed a lot of new DJs talk really quickly all the time. And you think, hang on, slow down. And it's nerves. (laughs) It's a bit panicky. And they've got listeners, which is three more than they had last week. And they're probably gone the next week, but you've got them. (laughs) Does seeing those analytics come up, you think, oh, this is... uh, exciting and nerve-wracking and it comes out in the show so 
I noticed that those that do survive, if you listen to their first show or their early shows and the one they're doing now, the quality's improved that much. And I suppose why you do it, if you enjoy it, you touched on it earlier on, that if you enjoy something, I suppose it's not like work because you're enjoying doing it. And if you're bringing in income from doing it, most people aren't on the radio. They just want to be on the radio because mm-hmm. you used to do it. But now you can. It's all possible. Um, and find out why you do it. Discover why you do it. And if the why is good, then you'll keep moving forward. I guess the first time back in the 80s when I was on that commercial station, the first time I actually had to do a, a live remote. Not No, it wasn't a remote. It was just a live, very short interview. There was a festival going on, a local festival, and it was they had to break in and they're going to give a synopsis and thing, a rundown of what was going on. And I had never done anything live before other than just introducing songs and reading commercials. So here I am talking to the curator of the festival and in my, it, it, that was nerve wracking, but and I'm looking at the clock because I have to cut it at a certain time. We have to go again, like you, uh, to reach the top of the news, uh, top of the hour for the news or something like that. And I th- thought I sounded horrible. Once it was over and I got to listen to the tape again, I'm like, okay, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And I got through it. So w- once I got through it and I'm like, okay, I did it that time. Now working a few things and I can improve on it. But that, from your question, that's what stood out uh-huh. as maybe giving me confidence that I can do this and I can progress. Yeah. And, and uh, similar to what we've been talking about in an era dominated by digital media, which it is now for me, it's 24 seven. What do you believe sets the traditional radio and the broadcasting apart? How do you bridge the gap between the old and the new? Ooh, that's a good question. What I do with my, the shows that I work on with my partner down there in uh, Georgia, I don't know if it's bridging the gap, but it's almost like bringing it back. What we're doing now, you don't really hear, even on terrestrial stations, making it sound like a live radio show where that you know, the disc jockey is introducing the song. You might hear what we call jukebox radio. They just play song after song, then they go to commercial and you don't hear anything in between. If you're the listener, you might say, oh, yeah, I, I love that song. I can't remember who did it, but you never hear the guy say who did it. Or we give a little insight from 1975. That was the number one hit from ABBA or BTO or things like that. So, again, not so much bridging the gap as just bringing back that that DJ feel, a, a live announcer. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, but we've got a very famous presenter or DJ. They they like to be called presenters nowadays. Mm. There is a difference between a DJ and a presenter, as we keep uh, bringing up in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Tony Blackburn. And I liked the Tony Blackburn way where he did say that was this is, but he was comedic in between. He gave us positive information. He was mm-hmm. cheery. He was lively. The jingles lifted you. Um, yeah. The atmosphere. And now when I go to a wedding or something, I, I used to be DJing for 35 years with all this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I, I've, I've given that side of it up a few years ago. But when I hear a DJ now, I'm constantly criticizing. I wouldn't play this. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. And, and my wife says to me, shut up and just enjoy it. 
but it does affect you that way. You do need to bring some of that back. And the only time you hear them say anything is when they mumble that there's a taxi for somebody at the end of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to make it all about you, but yeah, you do, I think, break it up a little bit here and there and at least engage them a little bit, engage the audience, whether it's a live audience or whatever. So you're not just sounding like you're reading a Sunday sermon. You you want to keep people engaged. You don't, you don't want to bore them to death. So yeah, a little interaction is good. Do you work off the top of your head with what you're going to say, or is it all all scripted and what's there has got to be, I sound like I'm reading it when I read it. <laughs> no, I, I, it's more scripted than I would like. But back, like I said, when I started, there was nothing scripted. You had to just wing it. Yeah. I guess because I want it to flow at a certain pace now and I can edit things. I do script a lot of, a lot of, a lot of it, but I try to get away from just reading make more like notes, a couple of notes here, and then expound on that. So I sound more natural. You don't want to sound, of course, like you're reading from a book. Reminds me of a documentary I did on the Beatles. And you could really, the music was fun, but when I right. spoke, and I, I've taken it off now, but there were four parts to it. And <laughs> I did sound like I was reading and it sounded a friend of mine said, oh, you wouldn't notice. It's a documentary style. Call it that. That's very polite of you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's um, talk about mentorship. What role has mentorship played in your broadcasting journey? Are there any individuals who have profoundly in influenced your career choices? Really, not in the beginning. The, the partner I mentioned that I'm working with now, he was a disc jockey back even before I was. And, and he did all that stuff that I was talking about. He did the live remotes. He did the on-air shows and he had real good banter. And I'm just picking up a few things from him really, but one individual or a couple individuals from when I started, it was more or less me listening to the radio, listening to certain DJs and announcers. And this is um, when you were very young and it was in your mind. Yes. Yes. I heard the different styles. Of course, there was like Wolfman Jack and oh, yeah. nobody's going to imitate him, but the, especially the voice. But later on, Casey Kasem. Is there Morgan, and, somebody Morgan? It's, it's nine o'clock in the Morgan, he used to say. In the, oh, I'm not sure. So I read a series of CDs featuring him and he was the, the typical brilliant 60s American banter. Oh, okay. Oh, it was wonderful. There was another one called The Grease Man. Uh, right. And, and he was just way over the top and he would never curse over the air, but he used what they call code words and he made it hilarious. They also, one of our, one of my friends got to see him live one time in studio and he said his hands and arms never stopped moving because the sound effect was like cart machines. It was this and that, and you just keep taking this cart and that cart and making all these sound effects and, uh, and, and he could ad lib like nobody's business. And wow. I thought that's true another. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was a true performer. And, and he would, he pushed the button. I pushed the limit a couple of times. He got suspended here and there, <laughs> but he eventually went, got nationally syndicated. And that's one of the people that I listened to and thought, okay, it's another type of style that maybe you could touch on here and there, but I wouldn't want to just imitate one person but yeah more listening to the different D djs on national and local stations is how i just eventually developed 
my yeah, own I, style. I syndicate one out called the Forgotten 45s. Oh, yes. David Bruce. And he does the echo on his voice, which I, I never mm-hmm. EJ's doing that. They tried it on Luxembourg for a while and stopped it. But he uses it to perfection. Plus, he drops in a, a, a comical comment every now and again. And it just mm-hmm. works. They're not funny. They're so brilliant. And I heard the show once. I thought, I've got to get that guy on it. So many people now are, are fading away from the 60s. There used to be 60s shows in the UK all over the place. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're hard to come by because I suppose the, the big listening audiences are, are getting too old or something or maybe right. dying off, dare we say. And the youngsters are coming up who who don't really relate to the 60s. But I still think there's a place for them. And when you hear them, and especially when they don't just play the top 40, but those or top 20, as it was what we called it then. And mm-hmm. only so many songs can get into the top 20. Once they're full, the others are left outside. And by the time it's clear again, they all go down because they've had their right. T- and it's those singles I love. And the B-sides. We don't get B-sides. Oh, yes. I just love that oldie-worldie thing of radio. There was an album called The Killer Bees. And it had all mm-hmm. B-sides on it. And it, it made our top 20 album chart. Because <sighs> some of the B-sides were absolute gold dust. They were wonderful to listen to. Um, and you think, now, what, what happened later was they bring out a, a disco singer, for example, and put the instrumental on the B-side. But I thought, no, put something uh, different so we can expand on our knowledge of your talent. But yeah. I suppose it was all commercialism. But I do love the oldie-worldie stuff. And I was going to ask, I've got a couple more questions. I'm mm-hmm. conscious of your time and thank you for giving it to us today. Sure. How do you stay creatively inspired and continue to bring fresh content to your radio station and other projects? But that is difficult. I do, like I said, I, I do rely on this, my partner down in Georgia. We bounce ideas off each other all the time. I, and I listen. To it's more or less like research. I do listen to other stations just to hear what they're doing. I used to read the newspaper and, and magazine articles and for ideas. That's just you're not really getting many ideas from that anymore. I understand. You know, it's just basically I be blunt about it. If you keep your ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> you can learn a lot and you can hear what other people have to say. You uh, just observe and listen. And just by doing that, you get ideas mm-hmm. of, Hey, okay. People may be interested in this. This may be funny, something like that. Uh-huh. So as somebody deeply connected to the world of audio, how do you see the future of radio broadcasting and audio production unfolding? Oh, another good question. I, as far as the, like the digital broadcasting now, the advances, like I said, from when you've just, you had nothing but turntables and cart machines to how these platforms can put it all together. They, they have, I forgot what it's called, but basically it's like a radio station in a box. The box, it's only maybe a square foot, mm-hmm. but it does everything. It's just sitting at all. It's smaller than a laptop and it does everything that you could do in a big radio studio 30 years ago. And uh, I I don't have one at the moment, but I'm told it doesn't take that much to get used to. I can't fathom that as far, especially if you want to cue everything up tightly and and make it sound like it's a live show. But though that kind of right there 
if they're going to keep making advancements like that, I, I really wouldn't know where it would go. It does allow people who normally couldn't get into broadcasting to do it, yeah. which is a good and a bad thing because, of course, you'd like to give opportunity to anybody who would like it, but it doesn't, or let's say it allows for unfiltered content that maybe you don't want it to be. You don't want it to be dangerous to you. The content. Well, yeah, because there some things that maybe just don't fit or belong being broadcasted to the world. So yeah, it could be a good or bad thing. So can you share a behind the scenes glimpse into the process of voicing and editing products? So what's your secret to delivering a compelling and engaging voiceover? Okay, starts with the script. I, I try to write a script. Like I said before, that sounds like I'm talking to just one person and then always pre-read the script out loud to yourself until you think you sound natural and like engaging to just one person. And then you can experiment with the tempo. And one thing that the, the technology allows is you can actually speed up now, you can speed up your voice or slow down your voice without actually changing the pitch. and then. Me, I like a lot of, I like production because it's fun. So maybe find a good music bed or a couple of sound effects, even like you mentioned the echo or a reverb, you don't want to overdo it, but if it enhances it a little bit and I, then I just experiment with different things until I come up with something that I think everybody would like. Is there a particular software you use when you edit the show, for example? Mostly I use Audacity. It's a, it's a free audio editing software, but I tell you for a free uh, piece of software, it uh, has a lot of bells and whistles on it. I don't, I haven't even begun to use all the tools in there. Some of the tools aren't necessary for what I do, but it does have a lot. Uh, and the tutorials, you can actually, if you take the time and you can teach yourself how to do most of it. And from what I understand, a lot of people use Audacity. I haven't gotten into the the expensive versions of, I think, Adobe Editor or things like that. But, you know, but Audacity seems to be sufficient for what I do. So, so many people know it because it mainly because it's free when you're starting out. But you touched on a good point there. If you need to know how to do something about it, it's on online, YouTube, anything. They will actually show you how to do it. And mm -hmm. that's how I get along with that. It's nearly always everything I do involves it at one stage. Right. Fantastic. Do you use a system like Sam Broadcaster or anything like that? Or is it much more complicated? I use, I don't, I've seen Sam Broadcaster, but what I use is Radio Boss. All right. Online version. And also we broadcast through Live 365. Uh, <clears throat> now I really don't use their platform to uh, produce the show just to broadcast for uh, licensing purposes. Right. And uh, then that's a brilliant, I'm glad you mentioned Live 365 and lovely memories of that when it first started. Okay. Now, funny you mentioned that because I was uh, reading, I was trying to look something up on Live 365 site and I ended up coming across some articles. And it, uh, yeah, they have gone through a few different changes, I actually reinvented themselves, I believe. And then we use the partner and I was talking about, we use Nextcast voice tracking software, and that does a really great job 
in as far as rendering the voice tracks itself. Mm -hmm. and, and you put it all together and uh, mix it down and then it's out there and go out there. Mm -hmm. It can be sent out as files for the whoever the station or a podcaster to, like I did with the John and Heidi show and insert it where you want, or it can render it as like an entire show. So you could just play it and let it go. And and they can put their own commercial breaks in wherever they fit. Yeah. Yeah. We, when you render the, the show in Xcast, you just leave a, a line in the code for lack of a better term, and they could put in whatever they want. Yep. Okay, finally then, what legacy do you hope to leave behind in the broadcasting industry? And what's next on the horizon for Eddie Carson and WODY Odyssey Radio? Wow, a legacy. Really, I mean, I promised to myself that that this time, you know, maybe it is a little too late, but that I guess if I'm known as a guy who wouldn't give up mm -hmm. <laughs> and whatever obstacles come, just that I'll be able to get through them as as far as, let me backtrack a little bit. Like I said, eventually, my goal is, and the one I don't want to give up on, is to make this my full-time career. Uh -huh. I may keep a few of the hobbies I have, but this is how I want to make my living. It's pretty lofty goal, but that's I'm, I don't want to give up on that. As far as WODY, Odyssey Radio, eventually, like I said, right now, I think I have, I think it's 19 syndicated shows. Wow. Uh, and artists that play in between. And I would, I would like to, I'm not, I don't want to say get rid of the syndicated shows, but I would like to have more of a hand in the programming myself right. than having to bring in outside shows. I may be able to incorporate some of the presenters in it, but I would like to produce more of it myself. And also where I am uh, now in Maryland. <clears throat> And try to get it out there locally, of course, because you're already all over the world being on the web. Mm -hmm. I would like to get the, the county I'm in and, and the local region, start engaging them and trying to make it your local radio station. Yeah, That's a great idea. And so is there a process you go through? So if somebody wants to syndicate a show to you, would they, they just send you a file? Is it as simple as sending you a file? You download it and do what you do with it? Or is it more complicated than that? No, it's in the beginning when I didn't have hardly any content at all, I went out searching for the music and for the shows through, I would just do generic, again, not knowing too much about it, the digital broadcasting side of it, just do searches for as simple as syndicated radio shows. And that I went through just tons and tons of information before I started finding them now and the music the same way I used to find and uh, go out and find uh, do searches and find the musicians and bands and almost beg them to hey could, I've listened to this song could you if you send it I will get it on the air I'd like to play this and this you know, from your album now I have I have a backlog. I must have 19 and 20 pages of emails with song submissions from bands. Wow. And uh, artists that I can't, I haven't even been able to get to yet. It's <laughs> I'm being inundated with it. And then same thing with the syndicated show. Somebody will send, Hey, I do this show. Here's a demo. And I'll listen to that. And I decide whether it fits in the kind of things that I want to do. And also I'll tell you, there is a, it's restrictive because being a commercial going through the, the platform I do, you have to play commercials. 
And so you've got to fit a certain amount of commercials in a certain amount of time and only in certain blocks. So these shows, when they come in, if they just send you, say they, they would do an hour show, but they send you a 60 minute file, that's not going to work because wow. you've got, I've got at least four minutes and I do eight minutes of commercials an hour. It, the show would run over, but I, ha I, I have to spend time cutting up the show, editing it, putting it. So there's it's a certain criteria that I have to have, not that I want to do, but I have to have it in order to play the show in the allotted space of time. I used to do one for a local offline station, FM station, and they said, we can't take your show anymore because it's 60 minutes long. And by the time we've edited it, and it's so much hard work, they said, mm -hmm. unless you can send it to us in this format, and it was with those codes on that you were mentioning. Uh, yes. They, could, they knew where to, to put their ads. No, I've had to do that but as that well. Far too advanced. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's what yeah. you get. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, with, at 19 syndicated shows, if, if I had to edit every one of them, I wouldn't have time for edit, anything else. Eddie, it's been fascinating insight. What an interesting career. And how can, how do we contact you or somebody wants to listen into the station? Where would they go? If you go to www.odysseyradio.live, that is the website. And that'll take you to the homepage with the player right up front. So you would just click on the uh, live 365 player and the station will start playing. Um, I can back that up by saying it's a wonderful station. I've been listening to it. And quite often I, I listen to a few minutes and that's it with yours. I just kept it on. It was amazing. So. Oh, thank you. It's fair. And, and I know you're never going to give up and, and we hope to talk to you again in the future and, and see how things have developed. Eddie Carson, thank you very much for being on the vinyl impressions podcast. Thank you, Martin. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening. For more details of any of our podcasts, please visit vinylimpressions.club. <laughs>